bow our heads in prayer before we come to God's word. Father, we acknowledge that indeed you are our great God. And we pray that as we come to your word now, uh, that we would see that greatness as we hear what you have to say to us. As we see Jesus, may we see his glory. Help us, Father, to understand more of Jesus. Help us to love Jesus all the more. Help us to be more like Jesus. We thank you for Jesus. Amen. And if you turn to Matthew chapter 4, page 968 in the church Bibles and 1504 in the large large print Bibles. Matthew chapter 4 and this evening we're going to look from uh, verse 12. I don't know if you've ever uh, been up early enough to catch a sunrise uh, I've done it a few times. The one on the screen behind me is uh, a sunrise uh, over a place called Wembury, which is a beach near where we used to live in Devon. Uh, but last year, uh, we were at the Grand Canyon, uh, and I decided I'm going to get up and I'm going to go see the sunrise over the Grand Canyon. It's something I felt uh, I just had to do. Uh, and before the sun rose, uh, as I was up uh, on the south rim, it was freezing cold and it was pitch black. And there wasn't anything to see. I could have been anywhere really in the world. Uh, and thankfully there was a big uh, you know, barrier so I didn't step over into the canyon. But it was dark and it was cold and there's not much to see. And I was tired. But then, slowly but surely, the sun comes up. It rises and it rises and it rises. And as it rises, the darkness becomes lighter. Uh, and the colours in the canyon all light up. And you can see uh, lots of uh, wonderful uh, colours and and all sorts of things there. Uh, And then it gets warmer. And in the afternoon when we were there, I was able to be in my shorts and I was perfectly warm. It was March. doesn't happen much here, but in America you can do that. You can be in your shorts in March. And it was warm, it wasn't cold, and it was beautiful. But it, it was a slow process. The sun comes up. And the higher it gets, the brighter it gets, the warmer it gets. And I tell you this uh, story to illustrate uh, a big point in the passage today in Matthew's Gospel. And that is this, that that, that Jesus talks of the kingdom of God being near. And we'll, we'll see Jesus in this passage with the kingdom breaking in. But it's like the sun rising. It's It's coming up. We see it getting brighter, but we've read at the end of Revelation what it's like when the sun is fully up. I hope that makes sense. As we see Jesus here, yes, the kingdom's come, but it's also coming. It's coming up, it's getting brighter, and in the end, it'll be fully risen. At the moment, when we read of Jesus here as we are part of his kingdom, yes, we we feel the warmth. Yes, we see the, 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 the pictures But not fully. But one day, 
in the glory of God, as we bask in his glory, everything will be bright and it will be perfect. Well, this passage in Matthew chapter 4 it is a new beginning. As Jesus comes onto the scene, we see that light is dawning. The context is uh, verse 12 coming after verse 11. It might seem in a normal uh, reading of things that that's quite right. But there's been a whole gap again in Matthew's Gospel uh, between chapter, uh, chapter 4 verse 11 and verse 12. A gap of approximately one year which is covered really in John's Gospel. In John chapters 1 uh, to 4. Matthew doesn't include those things in his gospel. It's not part of his purpose. And so as we read, we move on from the temptation. Where we learnt that Jesus is qualified to be our saviour. Because of his absolute purity. To the beginning of his main public ministry. Which begins in verse 12. And in verse 12, uh, we read that when Jesus heard... That John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Uh, John the Baptist was put in prison uh, because John the Baptist spoke out against King Herod marrying his brother's wife, Herodias. He accused Herod of adultery. He was right, but it wasn't taken too well. And so John the Baptist was put in prison. And when we read in Matthew's Gospel that word, withdraw... Normally, it means that there's danger. And in one sense, uh, that is true here. There is danger in Jesus being associated with John, and so he withdraws to Galilee. But there's another reason, a a more uh, better reason, really, why, why Jesus does this. And that's because John the Baptist being put in prison is, if you like, the starting pistol of Jesus beginning his public ministry. And he begins that ministry in Galilee. John the Baptist's preparatory work is done. He's not going to be released from prison. John is going to die there. And Jesus Christ comes now, after John is put in prison, to proclaim the kingdom of God and show it breaking in. So here in this uh, passage, we will see the light of the gospel coming in, in the person of Jesus Christ, as he begins this work in Galilee. And I want us to answer four uh, questions about this light in chapter 4, verse 12, down to the end in verse 25. Uh, These four questions are this. Number one, what is the light? What is the light? Number two, what do I do with this light? Number three, can I trust this light? And then number four, Is it worth following this light? So we're going to look at those four questions as we go through. But hopefully as we read this passage now, uh, you might be able to spot the answers to some of those. So let's read uh, from verse 12 of chapter 4 down to verse 25. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. To fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. 
As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and illness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. This is God's word. What is the light? It is Jesus Christ and the gospel that he is proclaiming. That's what the light is. And this light shines in Galilee, which was viewed at the time as a most unexpected place for the Messiah to come. Why was it unexpected? Well, if you think of the Messiah as a religious leader, Galilee was a very dark and unreligious and unspiritual place. In fact, it was very dark. It had a very bad reputation. But as you know, light shines all the brighter in dark places, doesn't it? And the first thing we see in this passage is that that light is preached in dark places. The light is preached in dark places. So he withdrew, it says in verse 12, to Galilee. And then at the beginning of verse 13, we have this little uh, phrase, leaving Nazareth, which means that when he withdrew to Galilee, the first place he went was Nazareth. Now Nazareth, uh, as you probably know, was the hometown of Jesus. Well, Matthew doesn't explain here what exactly happened in Nazareth. That doesn't need to be explained right now. But the point that Matthew does make is that he left Nazareth and he went and he lived in Capernaum. In other words, Jesus moved house. The word there uh, that is used uh, is that he lived in means he settled in. He settled down. It, was, it became a permanent residence. So he moved. His hometown went from being Nazareth to he was a dweller of Capernaum. Now, in one sense, this is a brilliant place to start a public ministry. If you wanted to show that you are the king, a great place to go would be somewhere like Capernaum. It was a busy, thriving fishing town on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee was a huge lake, and there was lots of fish in this lake. And it had a large population, up to 10,000 people lived there, and it was a busy place where people would be coming and going, getting fish. What a great place to start a ministry like this. But at the same time, the region of Galilee as a whole had an extremely poor reputation among the people. Uh, John chapter 7 and verse 41 uh, is a place in the Bible where they're talking about who the Messiah is. And it says, this is what John said, Others said, he is the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? How can the Messiah 
come from Galilee. And it was because Galilee was a place that was, it was looked down upon and it was a place of real darkness. But Jesus was there because it was dark. And this fulfills what Isaiah says. Look at verse 14. It was to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Now Capernaum was by the Sea of Galilee, but the territory in uh, Joshua was allotted to Zebulun and Naphtali. They were two of the tribes of Israel. But this territory no longer belonged to those two tribes. A long time ago, it didn't belong to those two tribes. Because a long time ago, the Assyrian Empire invaded the land and it became the land of the Assyrians. And when Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 9, he spoke of the people in this area. And this is what Isaiah says in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah says, Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. That's what Isaiah says, and Matthew quotes that here. But Isaiah chapter 8 describes very dark times. People not living for God, and judgment is coming, and God judged the people. And Zebulun and Naphtali were the tribes that were in the very north of the country. And when the Assyrians invaded, they bore the brunt. They were the first ones they reached. The Assyrians came from that direction. And in fact, when you read there, look at verse 15, the way of the sea. The way of the sea was a highway that ran from Damascus in Syria through Galilee to the Mediterranean Sea. And it was on this road that the exiles marched north. And it was on this road that the Assyrians would send people back. And the Assyrians sent Jews back sometimes, but also non-Jews. It was a mixed population, which is why it's called Galilee of the Gentiles. And because it wasn't exclusively Jewish, and it was very mixed, the Jews looked down on Galilee. They said it was a dark place, a mixed place. And it got worse over the years. Isaiah chapter 9 talks of people um, walking in darkness, and here... We see them in verse 16, living in darkness. Matthew uses a different word. It's progressing. They don't just walk, they now live. They're settled in a place of darkness. In other words, what Matthew's saying here is this is as dark as you can get. This place is the the shadow of death. And here, light has dawned. Well, this gives us wonderful hope. Because we live in a dark world, don't we? Yes, there is beauty in our world. But you don't have to live in our world very long to know that we live in a world of darkness where there is much suffering and there's much death. And into this darkness comes hope. And the hope is found in verse 17. The hope is that yes, this world is dark, but there is a better world coming. Look at verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Notice that he's withdrew to Galilee. He's there. Galilee is a place of extreme darkness. And at this time, when he was in this dark place, he says, there's something better coming. A better world, the kingdom of heaven. And does this message in verse 17 sound very familiar to you? 
I hope it does. If you've been listening to Matthew's Gospel, it should sound very familiar. Because it was exactly the same message that John the Baptist was preaching, wasn't it? Now, John the Baptist might be in prison, but his message is still being proclaimed. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. What does this mean? If you remember, what's repentance? Repentance means turning around in another direction. It's a going from following after sin to following after Jesus Christ. And remember, it's more than just intellectual, more than just a change of mind. Yes, it's a change of mind, but it also transforms our hearts, which is our emotions and our will. We live differently if we repent. So Jesus is saying, just like John, the kingdom of heaven is coming. So you've got to repent. You've got to turn from sin and totally change your life, following after God, doing his will. And like John, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is is better than this world. The world that everyone wants, the world where all of this darkness goes, has come near. And to prepare for this, repent. And it's the same for us today, isn't it? Repent. Turn from sin. Turn to Christ. Follow him. So the light has come. What, What is the light? Jesus Christ and his gospel. And it's preached in the the darkest of places. And that includes, doesn't it, our nation, our hometown, our homes. Maybe maybe you live in a home that's a a place of darkness. The gospel comes to your home and even our lives, our very lives. Because my heart was a heart of darkness until Jesus Christ Shined his light. So Jesus and his gospel is the light. Well, the second question uh, that I asked before is, what do we do with that light? Well, we read here, don't we? Repent. Repentance is turning from sin. But here in this passage, we get a clearer picture of what we're turning to. So we turn away from sin and we turn to Jesus. And in verses 18 to 22, we see what that looks like. We see that the light is followed and it's reflected. Look at verses 18 to 22. It says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting their net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two older brothers, other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Uh, We we see here the calling of the first disciples, but the impression we get is that uh, you've got these brothers fishing by the lake, and then some stranger appears and tells them to follow him, and they just give everything up and follow this stranger. Well, it wasn't quite like that in the sense that they knew Jesus. They knew who he was. Uh, this, uh, This was a call to serve Jesus in a unique way. We know from John's Gospel that they knew who this was. It wasn't blind faith. They saw Jesus for who he was. And, and that's important because sometimes we hear of, of blind faith. We just blindly follow. No, we don't blindly follow. We look at Jesus, we see who he is, and when he calls us to do something radical, we do so not blindly, but trusting that this is God. 
And that's exactly what happens here. They see Jesus for who he is. They know him. So it's not blind faith, but it is radical faith, isn't it? It is radical faith. Consider who these men were. Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he sees these brothers, and they are casting their nets into the sea. They are, they are fishermen. Now, Matthew mentions their job, in part, probably, to link in the phrase that Jesus uses, you are now going to fish for people. But also, there is the element of surprise here. Like it's a surprise that he goes to Galilee, this place of darkness, so it's a surprise that he calls these men. Why is it a surprise? Well, these are not scholars or eloquent men. These are not religious leaders or men of rank. These are fishermen. In an unexpected place, he calls unexpected disciples. But at the same time, fishermen have to have care. They have to have patience. They have to have learnt skills. They have to have habits of life that are fitted for endurance or fatigue. All this is perfect, isn't it, for evangelistic ministry. But Jesus here calls the unexpected and uses the abilities they have for his kingdom. And isn't that brilliant for us? Because we are all called to follow him in his kingdom. And whatever our background Wherever we're from, however unexpected it is that you find yourself in the kingdom of God, God wants to use us with the abilities that we have to serve him in his kingdom. And that's wonderful, isn't it? That we can be used by God. Isn't it brilliant that we can be used by our king in his kingdom? But we have to follow him. So he sees the the fishermen and he calls them. uh, In verse 19, come. Follow me. Now, there are only two commands in this passage. In fact, uh, two things that Jesus really says. One, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And secondly, follow me. And that's exactly what he demands of us, isn't it? To turn from sin and to follow him. Notice there's, there's no questions here. Jesus doesn't come up to the boat and say, well, what do you think? Or... Let me try and persuade you why following me is a really good idea. No, Jesus just says, come, follow me. And they leave their nets and they follow him. There's no eloquent arguments. There's no uh, discussion. Come, follow me. And they follow with a purpose, don't they? To make them fishers of people. Jesus will make them fishers of people. Notice, that's not what they were then. They, weren't, they were fishers of fish. At the beginning. But he will make them fishers of people. And when God calls us to follow him, it's, we're always a work in progress, aren't we? As we follow him, he makes us into what he wants us to be for him. And he trains them. Throughout this gospel, Matthew's gospel could be a, a discipleship manual. He trains them throughout this gospel. And at the end of the gospel, they've graduated, haven't they? At the end of the gospel, in Matthew chapter 28, we see, Go! Go and make disciples of all nations. He could also say, go and be the fishers of people that I've made you into. And the call of James and John in verses 21 and 22 is very similar, isn't it? There's a couple of differences. James and John are preparing their nets. That's different to Simon Peter and Andrew. They were fishing, 
But later, this is later on in the day. Uh, James and John are preparing their nets. That means they finished fishing and they're getting their nets ready for the next day's work. And then Jesus comes to them and he calls them uh, in the same way and they respond in the same way. Uh, Jesus, it says, called them in verse 21. That word uh, called is not just generally shouting. It's an individual call. He's calling them individually. Come, come. And they're going to follow him. And notice the responses. The response is immediate. In verse 20, we read at once. In verse 22, we read immediately. This was obedience right away. Notice the word in, uh, left is in both cases. They left. They left their nets. And in the case of uh, the, the last two, James and John, they also left their father. They, they left those things behind. And in both cases, they followed him. It was immediate. They left some things behind and they followed Jesus. There was no mere verbal assent to who Jesus was. There was no raising your hand for following Jesus. This was active obedience. They knew the answer to what is the light. The light is Jesus. And they showed their belief by obeying what should I do with that light. I repent and I follow him. And we see here four, four local fishermen. Is, it, is that a world-changing task force? It doesn't look like it, does it? But obedient servants in the hands of God can be used for great deeds in his kingdom. And what about you and me? The call of Jesus Christ requires us to leave some things behind, doesn't it? It requires sacrifice. Sometimes we have to leave a, a reputation behind. Perhaps sometimes you have to leave family behind. Sometimes career aspirations might have to be left behind if we're going to follow this call of Jesus. Sometimes sins that we perhaps enjoy, they need to be left behind. Things that take up too much time can be left behind behind. All Christians have to say goodbye to some things in obedience to Jesus Christ. And this is nothing other than a radical call and a radical life. And if I'm going to give my life to something like this, to, to leave everything and to follow Jesus as my king and to live this radical kind of life, I need to have these two questions answered, don't I? Can I trust this light? And is it worth it? Can I trust it? And is it worth it? And these two questions are answered as we see how the light is revealed and authenticated. In this last section, in verses 23 down to 25, we see a word picture of Jesus Christ's ministry in Galilee. So he travels throughout Galilee in verse 23, he went throughout Galilee, which was uh, about uh, 240 towns. Lots and lots, thousands and thousands, perhaps up to a million people were in the area that he was in. So he went throughout this area and he did three things. There was three work streams, if you like, of his ministry. He taught in the synagogues. He proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. And he healed every disease and illness among the people. 
So teaching is this, the passing on of information, in the, in, mainly in the synagogues. And Jesus Christ taught the Old Testament and explained the meaning of it. And in other places in the Gospels, we read how when he taught, people were amazed at the teaching that he gave and the authority with which he taught. So he taught. He proclaimed the good news. That's preaching. This was more outside of the synagogue, not restricted to the Sabbath. And we know what his message was. Don't we repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And this preaching was powerful preaching. It was Holy Spirit-anointed preaching. People responded to this preaching. He was showing who he was with his teaching and his preaching ministry. And then we see his healing ministry. His healing was just miraculous. Nothing had ever been seen like this before. Uh, In verse 23, we see uh, two words there, disease and illness. And they're two uh, different words meaning different things. A disease is when you are uh, sick or ill. Uh, It could be something as small as vomiting or an infection or a cancer. And then the illness is more uh, bodily disabilities like paralysis. But whatever the problem was, Jesus could heal it. Whatever it was, Jesus came and with a word or a touch, it was gone. And in verse 24, we see various kinds of what he healed. Uh, You've got the the, uh, the beginning there, uh, news about him spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. You've got that word diseases again, that's like the, the, the sick those suffering severe pain, which uh, severe pain are those that are in uh, an acute pain that doesn't go away. They've had it all their life. Jesus heals that. Uh, the demon possessed. We, we can see in other accounts, the demons, they are spoke to by Jesus and they flee him. Seizures. Uh, this could be uh, epilepsy, but as an interesting fact, uh, uh, the literal translation would be moonstruck. And we get our English word lunatic. So this could mean um, the mentally ill as well, mental illness. And then we have those who are paralysed. Whatever it was, the point is, every kind of problem, whether it was physical, whether it was mental, whether it was demonic, whatever the issue, nothing was brought to Jesus Christ that could not be healed. Nothing at all. And this was no magic trick either. This was... It was, with, it was totally different. Jesus healed with a word or with a touch. He healed instantly. He healed totally, not just superficially. He healed everybody. And even we see in the Gospels, the dead were not beyond his help. So no wonder news about him spread. It would, it would today, wouldn't it? Let alone when there was a time without the medical advances we have. News went as far north as Syria, which was a foreign country. Crowds came from the Decapolis, which was a group of cities, ten cities, in the southeast of Galilee. Crowds from Jerusalem, Judea, the region across the Jordan, far and wide, foreigner and domicile, all kinds of people, all kinds of illnesses and sicknesses, all of them came to Jesus and he healed them. Well, what is this telling us? Well, first of all, it tells us something about Jesus, doesn't it? Can I trust this light? Absolutely. Only God can do this. That's the point. Only God. 
Jesus is showing, revealing and authenticating the fact that I am God. I am the King. I am the Messiah. But we see something else that this light shows us too. In the beginning of the passage, we saw that the light comes into a place of darkness. And we live in a a world of darkness where these diseases and sicknesses which Jesus was healing are still with us even today. We see suffering on a huge scale. And if you were asked, what is the world that you would want? What would you change about this world? Surely you would perhaps even turn here and say, well, the things in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23 and 24, those are the things I would get rid of. I would get rid of all of the illnesses and diseases and demon possession and paralysis, all those things I want gone in the world that I would want. Well, that's normal, isn't it? Surely we would want that. Well, here Jesus is showing us that world. He's showing us, he said, the kingdom of heaven is coming near. And this is what it's going to look like. It's like a a holiday brochure. You know, when you get the brochure and you see, oh, that looks nice, I want to go there. And you get the pictures of where, where you might be going. Well, here we get a picture of where we are going. God is giving us this, this picture of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he's saying, come, repent, because this is what's coming. We see, don't we, what's not there. What's not in God's kingdom. There's no disease or no sickness. Because Jesus is removing it. There's no demons, because Jesus is casting them out. And we get the impression, and I think it's right that we get the impression, that this is a massive scale. In the areas where Jesus was, it seems to me that these things are just wiped out. As people realise Jesus is here, and they bring people, and they come themselves, and Jesus gets rid of all of these things. It's like the light is washing over the darkness, eliminating it. And secondly, we see what is there. Large crowds of people who are drawn to Jesus from all different places. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. So in a small part of Israel called Galilee, the kingdom breaks in. And we get a look of what in the future will be worldwide. So that question, is it worth following this light? Absolutely worth following this light. Because this is where the light leads. And we read that in Revelation, didn't we? God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. It talks about the nations walking by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendour to it. On no day will its gate ever be shut, for there will be no night there. You see all those references we read in Revelation 21 to light. Jesus is the light. And this is the whole world. None of these things that he gets rid of here in this small section of the world in Galilee will be there in the new heavens and earth. That light will shine forever and ever. And we will bask in it for eternity. So as we conclude, what is our response to be to all of this? 
Because if we grasp what this means, then it is, we recognise it is worth giving our all for it. Well, first of all, we repent of sin. Turn from sin and follow Jesus. And following Jesus, like the disciples here, means listening to his voice and doing what his voice says. It means being a fisher of people, telling people about the Saviour, telling people about the good news of what Jesus brings. But also what this means is that we have these verses in Matthew chapter 4 as a picture that we can put on our wall at home or in our office to remind us of what's coming and to remind us that yes, it is always worth following Jesus. Uh, Over this last week, uh, I I visited somebody, uh, not a member of our church, but it's a a lady who is dying, and she is a Christian, uh, and I read this passage to her. I read these verses, and she said to me, can you write these words down? I've been looking for something that I can hold on to when I'm anxious and I'm worried about death. And so I could give her these verses and say, this is your holiday brochure. This is what is coming. And in those times when we feel the pain of these things, we can look forward to that time. Where in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we read, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. The sun is rising, but soon will be in its warmth, and will be there forever. Praise God. 